Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for episode 44 I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope, and I'm joined by my colleague, Henna Shah. <music> Boris Johnson wrote an article for The Telegraph this week in which he made some comments about the burqa that has led to Tory party launching an investigation into him. He wrote that it is absolutely ridiculous that people should choose to go around looking like letterboxes in reference to the burqa and also compared it to looking like a bank robber. Hannah, (laughs) I'm not sure it needs much explaining, but could we just start with what was the issue with Botti's head? As a resident Muslim, why is this (laughs) offensive? (laughs) I think firstly, the really important thing to say is, yes, this is a conversation you should be able to have, right? Having facial visibility in public spaces is an argument that's happened in lots of European countries, and it's one that we should clearly have for reasons of security and also maybe for reasons of integration as well. If you want to have that argument, you don't need to go around insulting people, saying they look like letterboxes. That's ridiculous. Uh, What I saw this morning was even more worrying was that was also a subject of a racist meme that had been going around far right websites Mm. previously, and it was a woman in a niqab, not a burqa, because the niqab's the one where you can only see your eyes. And a picture of a post box, and there was a guy, and he was like, oh, I can't tell the difference between the two. That's so funny. It's very depressing, and you sort of have to to laugh at it, because the idea that you're going to start any kind of serious conversation about integration in this country by making pointless, puerile jokes about someone looking like, you know an item of street furniture uh, (laughs) is absurd. But also what seems really frustrating about it is that he's gone down now this obvious like alt-right defence essentially of being like, they're trying to close down free speech. This is a free speech issue. You can't talk about anything these days because of the politically correct brigade and the whatever. But actually the point he was, the point of the article was tremendously uncontroversial which was that especially in British politics which is that I don't really like burkas but I would have banned them and his argument which frankly is utterly unbelievable was that you know this was part of where he was coming from was a cause of concern for the women who clearly didn't choose to dress like this and frankly if that was true and 
this was some sort of kind of chivalrous article. Why did he then choose to mock the women and how they look? If your belief is that they don't choose to dress like that and they're being forced to dress like that, then you're not going to mock them for looking like that. And that is, that is the problem here, isn't it? But also, why should he be telling me how to dress? He can do one. I don't care what Boris Johnson mm. thinks about how I should or should not dress. I mean, I really don't think anyone should be taking style tips from him. Have you seen his hair? Um, <laughs> more importantly, like as a Muslim in this country, like you're already labelled by the mainstream press. You're a terrorist, you're a paedophile, you're a sexualized object, you're necessarily oppressed and you cannot make your own choices and for him to turn up and try and make light of that for his own personal gain and actually to be honest just for attention I'm actually quite tired of this story because he's clearly just being a petulant child mm. for attention I mean he's got absolutely no place in this conversation at all it's not for him to have he's got no power as a backbench MP and nor should he have any He's not a member of the community. He's not a woman. I mean, he's just bought out. He also seems to have got mixed up, as you mentioned a minute ago, between the niqab and the burqa, which are obviously distinct clothing items. The burqa covers the whole face and, mm. and the niqab leaves a space for your eyes. I mean, how many people do you think actually wear a full burqa in this country? I have never seen anyone wear a full burqa in this country. Really? No, not at all. I've seen a few women wear the niqab mm. where you can see the eyes, but I've personally never seen, and I grew up in an area where there are lots of Muslims, never seen someone wear the burqa in this country. And if I did, would it matter to me? Yeah. No. It's, I grew up in, in, in a place with a big Muslim population and there are definitely probably a higher proportion of women mm -hmm. who wear the niqabs there than where I live now in London. I feel like I think I've seen women wear burqas, but also... I actually don't know. And I, it's just kind of one of those things where I think it gets spoken about so much that you kind of then, I, like maybe I've tricked myself into thinking that I have. I don't know. I can't yeah, recall. Obviously, I don't really take kind of like tallies of what people are wearing in the street. <laughs> sort of Burkish day, all right, for Burkish Also, so you know, about 5% of the population are Muslim. Yeah. Half of, so 2.5% are Muslim women. The numbers who wear the niqabs, I think are, must be minutely small and so people who actually wear the burqa in this country must be must be i reckon it must be in its hundreds at yeah. most like and no one keeps uh, data on this kind of thing so we don't actually know for certain but it really doesn't feel like it's yeah, the burqa um... police don't need to <laughs> <laughs> knocking on your door being like is there anyone here who wears a burqa <laughs> um, um, uh, maybe we should invest in that what do you think this says about the wider issue of islamophobia in the tory party because um the Muslim Council of Britain called for an inquiry into Islamophobia in the Conservative Party back in May mm -hmm. when uh, Tory MP Bob Blackman was revealed to have shared anti-Muslim articles, be a member of Islamophobic Facebook groups and hosted an anti-Muslim Indian Hindu nationalist in Parliament on mm. more than one occasion. The Tories also took control of Pendle Council in May after readmitting a councillor who'd been suspended for making a joke comparing Asians to dogs. Do you think this will push them to carry out a proper inquiry? Nah. <laughs> Thanks, <Bill. laughs> no, not at all. Soda Varsi, who used to be chairwoman of the Conservative Party, but Baroness Varsi now, as much as she's not my politics, she has been warning about Islamophobia, not just in the Conservative Party and actually being really brave and taking a stand in that, but actually in sort of 
polite society. For years now, she claimed, I think a few years ago, that, he'd, that it had passed the dinner party test. You could go to a meal with sort of like some well-to-do metropolitan elite types mm. and make a comment about the Muslims and it'd be like, oh, yes, well, yeah, I suppose that's probably quite right. Yes, they are like that. And she made a point about no one listening to it. And to be honest, no one's really listened to her. Do I think there'll be a meaningful inquiry? No, I mean, you just have to look at Zach Goldsmith's mayoral campaign. Yeah. If you remember the um, great video that someone made where he was going around all the different ethnic communities and there were lines in different languages um, including something I do, which I also speak. And it was like, Zach Goldsmith's going to win. He's going to be for our people, X, Y, and Z. While at the same time sending round letters to everyone he thought had a Hindu name and claiming to them that Sadiq Khan was going to take all their gold. Sadiq Khan gold snatcher, um, which is, you know, one I haven't yeah, heard yeah. before. I mean, if he's allowed to run a campaign like that for, you know, one of the most powerful political officers in the country, do I think the Tories will take Islamophobia seriously now? Absolutely not. It feels like there's been a lot of pushback already. Um, as we record this, the the news that uh, Boris is going to be investigated for this mm. is only a couple of hours old. Um, and there, there seems to be a lot of pushback already from Tory MPs who are very angry about this um, and feel that it is politically motivated. Um, you know, where have we heard that before? A politically motivated attack on a racist. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. And... Um, and it feels like maybe the end result of this could be that they give Boris a bit of a slap on the wrist and then go, we, you know, that was actually was our investigation into Islamophobia in the Tory party and we've sorted it now. And it feels like that might be where this heads. And he's got the attention that he was wanted and the Tory right, you know, lord him as some kind of modern day free speech martyr. It's just the whole thing's ridiculous. Anyway, I want to move on to the left for a minute because actually there is a bit of this that is uh, related that we'll come on to in a sec but it feels like this week there has been splits emerging mm. on the left of the Labour Party mainly over the IRA, IHRA definition of uh, anti-Semitism. It seems now that um, some on the, the Labour left uh, on the NEC have moved their position and it looks possible that we will now adopt the full definition of anti-Semitism um, at one of the next uh, NEC meetings, which will be either 5th of September, I think there's one, and I think there's one on the 14th of September. Mm. So we could, we could see some movement there, which would obviously be brilliant, but having still had this round for what, well, yeah, whatever it will be by then, two months, um, it can only be the start of uh, a kind of conversation about how we better deal with anti-Semitism in the future in the... Uh, and I think we will need to show the Jewish community uh, that we're prepared mm. to do a lot more. Uh, it's not a kind of end point of this, as I think some might hope it to be. However, there are still people, and the kind of briefings in the papers suggest that uh, Seamus Milne, Director of mm. Communications and Strategy for the Labour Party, is one of the people who still steadfastly believes that we shouldn't adopt all of the examples uh, in the IHRA definition. Uh, and the splits that seem to be emerging do not necessarily seem to be about the policy of it um, as a kind of ideological stance, but whether, but more as a kind of PR um, move that this has damaged us too much now and it is not, not worth the political battle to, to carry on having this row. Does that seem about right, do you think? 
I think that is right. And it's a real shame that it's taken this to get the position to change. I think um, if the IHRA definition is adopted, and, you know, I know John Landsman has come out in favour and several other unions have as well, uh, at one of the next NEC meetings, that should be applauded. They've listened, they've changed policy. That can only be a good thing. However, the idea that it has taken the amount of media attention and this amount of outrage from the Jewish community to affect this change is really disturbing. Mm. Because I think you're right. It's not about the values that we hold as an anti-racist party. It is more about how we are perceived by the nation as a whole. And both those things are important. But to me, the first is more important than the second. So I think that there is a narrative emerging here around the kind of sensible Labour left versus the cranks within the movement. And, and I do have a bit of a problem with that. I mean, first of all, there's people like Pete Wilsman who, if the tape of Pete Wilsman's rant hadn't come out, he would still be on the momentum slate and they would still be, frankly, supporting the, uh, the, the amends to the IHRA definition that they wanted to make a month ago when they were calling it the gold standard. Also, the fact that while they have taken him off the slate, um, they kind of dilly-dallied about it for a couple of days uh, before doing that. And in that time, in the first four, in the first 48 hours of an NEC election, usually 40% of the votes are cast. So actually, there's a really good chance that he was already elected by that point with the votes that came with being on the momentum slate and the fact that they're not still not calling for him to stand down. So the fact he might be re-elected anyway, but at any rate, he's going to be on place in the NEC when this comes back to be debated next month in those meetings. He's going to be on the NEC until the end of conference. And so I have a bit of a problem with that. But also the idea that if you call the people who are still opposed to this cranks, the problem is that it seems that the director of communications and strategy of the Labour Party is on that side. You're making it out to be a bit of a fringe element, whereas actually it is a lot more ingrained than that. And that is, I think, a really big concern and not something that we should be able to kind of gloss over. It is much more ingrained and integral than that. And I think you had some more ideas about where these kind of splits were emerging, didn't you? Yeah, I think this is an interesting time to discuss sort of the wider network. So I know there's sort of Landsman in Momentum and Wilsman who's, who's on the NEC, but also we have to think about the people who are on that side of the party and who are part of the whole Momentum movement. Maybe they might not hold elected positions, but they hold the line and they have a lot of personal power. So for example, Chris Williamson shares a platform with a lot of the Corbyn Outriders. Mm. Uh, he's at Momentum events and the World Transformed events, stuff like that. And he steadfastly said, and he changes Twitter name to hashtag JC9, yes, nine. <laughs> he doubled down on yeah. Pete Wilsman after the tape was released. To me, that's concerning. And then we have Aaron Bastani of Navarra Media, who... Um, after Tom Watson wrote his article sort of setting out where he think Labour should head with uh, its policy, produced a video where he essentially accused Tom Watson of being a jealous cons 
conspiracy theorist and put him in a tinfoil hat. Now, the idea that you're going to put the deputy leader of the Labour Party in a tinfoil hat for criticising the leader's office on anti-Semitism, a key part of which is making sure that we don't accuse Jewish people of being part of some worldwide conspiracy is ridiculous. And it's concerning that, yes, whilst some of this movement has been made and, you know, the sensible um, part of that movement have come out and said, yes, Worldsmen should not be on our slate, etc. There are still key individuals who, for whom clearly having someone like Willsman as part of their movement is not a bridge too far. Yeah. And that's a problem. And uh, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the um, uh, communist leader in France, uh, it was announced this week he's going to be speaking at the World Transformed in Liverpool at Labour Party conference next month. What did you make of that? <laughs> what did I make of that? Um, I think this week's been an interesting week for those of us who care about race politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, the World Transform is obviously a great event. So it's been put on, it was at conference last year and it really inspired a lot of young people who have previously involved, been involved in activism to do more and hear more and broadens our movement again. However, the idea <laughs> that... You can put members of the shadow cabinet. John McDonnell is going to speak at the World Transformed and he's going to share a platform with Mullenshon, part of whose platform is to ban the burqa. I mean, not the, not the burqa, the niqab, as we've explained. But the idea that this man who clearly thinks that item of clothing is, you know, essential to the conversations about integration in France and basically has a very similar position, it seems to me, to um, the position that uh, some of the Tory right lay out to mm. Islam and Muslim women. And the fact that we're sharing a platform with him is worrying to me because it basically says that in order to achieve our economic programme, we don't really care who we associate with. And you can see when it came to the runoff, Mélenchon couldn't even bring himself to endorse Macron over Le Pen. Mm. Um, and when it comes to the point where you're sharing a platform with someone who won't encourage his supporters to vote against a fascist, mm. it really concerns me as to what the future of our movement will be. Like, where's the next sacrifice going to be made at the altar of this project? It's a really... Interesting point. We are running out of time, so I'll rush on to uh, the pub quiz question. Uh, this week we asked, which country has the highest minimum wage in the whole of the EU? Hannah, did you guess this? No, I did not guess this, <laughs> unfortunately. It was um, Luxembourg uh, is the country with the highest uh, minimum wage in the EU uh, with €1,990 a month. You could say that it's fully automated Luxembourgish social democracy. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I was so pleased with myself for coming up with that. Um, Luxembourg has a population of around 600,000, of which only half are Luxembourgers. The next biggest group, interestingly, mm. on 18% is Portuguese. And Portugal has the lowest minimum wage in Western Europe. Isn't That's that what I call freedom of movement. Yeah. Jim Robbins answered that correctly first. Jim, please do send your name and address to office at progressonline.org.uk. We will send you a mug. Remember to send in any comments and questions, leave a review, rate and subscribe on iTunes 
and Progressive Britain will be back on Tuesday next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.